attention to uh, our Bridging the Gap ministry. As you know, it has been a difficult uh, year, year and a half as far as a lot of things happening in our country. And I applaud our Bridging the Gap group that's getting together saying, what can we do? And one of the things that's a tangible thing for us to put into practice is Unity Table. And so what they're asking and is for all of us on the fifth Sunday of the year, so there's four of them throughout the year, just have dinner with someone that's not like you. And boy, can we demonstrate what the kingdom of God is like by hanging out with folks we don't normally hang out with. And so that becomes a tangible way for us to step in the gap and to bridge that gap. So I hope that you'll take advantage of that as our fifth Sunday is approaching. Uh, we've got a couple of people that I want to recognize this, this morning. One is Charles C. Veach. Where is Charles C.? So she's kind of our matriarch, 101 years old. Good to have you back. We have missed you. And she loved the 101 puppies we dropped off at her house. So we are glad to have you. Also, I believe Brother Early B. Milstead is he. Are he and Lena here? Are you guys here with us? Okay, please stand up, Early B. For, for those of you that don't know, Early B. was recognized by the city of McKinney as the most incredible citizen of the year by the Chamber of Commerce. So come on up. Let me just say thank you. We just wanted to say thank you. So, Brother Milstead has done a tremendous amount for this church, as you know, but he's also very active in our community as well. And what a better way to show the kingdom of God than to love others and use your gifts and your time, your talents. So thank you very much for all that you do for us and for the community at large. Let's show him our appreciation one more time. Thank you very much. We're uh, in our second week of our conviction series, and we said, why don't we take some time and just look at eight core convictions? These are kind of non-negotiables for us that is sometimes if we look at our foundation, it helps us to build in the correct way. And so last week, we looked at the authority of Scripture and how Scripture guides us and it is, we believe, the inspired Word of God. And this becomes, Jesus is the foundation of who we are, but His Word is what guides us. And so that is our first conviction. And so we move from that conviction to the conviction of the Trinity. And I told Brother Mitchell, you've got three minutes. Try to sum up the Trinity for me to make my job a little easier. But it's difficult for us to talk and understand the idea of the Trinity. So it's the belief in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So how do we kind of pull that together? So my, my goal for this morning is, is twofold. One is for us to better understand this doctrine of the Trinity. But then also for us to unlock the key of the Trinity that helps us understand how we relate with one another and how we relate as the body of Christ. So I want to do both of those. 
So if the first you're kind of lost in the weeds, hang with me because we're going to get to the practical nature of why we need to understand the triune relationship of God. So it's a concept that is rooted in Scripture, but if you turn to your concordance in the back, the word Trinity is not there. So it is an idea and a way of describing what we see played out in Scripture. So here's our big idea for the morning, and that's this. There is only one God who exists eternally as a trinity of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each member of the trinity is fully and equally God, yet personally distinct from others. So this is important for us to understand. Because many a Christian has been thrown off their game by Jehovah's Witness or Mormon uh, well-meaning folks coming by and just say, well, it, I don't know why you believe that because it's not even in Scripture. So we're going to unlock Scripture to see how this all plays together. And so folks will say, well, our, I thought you worshiped one God. Well, we do. Well, it sounds like three gods to me. So you got Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, yeah, but they're all of one essence. Oh, okay, so what you're saying is that a third of God is the Father, and third is Son, third is the Spirit. And kind of like Ghostbusters, when you cross the stream, you've got one powerful thing. No, each part is 100% God and 100% powerful. So is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all of the same essence and all of the same power. David Wells, in his book called What is the Trinity, says this. I, I love this. He says, This much is certain. Had the Christian faith merely been a human invention, Christians would never have come up with the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine is too thorny to understand and too difficult to explain for anyone to have deliberately fabricated it. There is no other religion that has anything remotely like this. No, this is not the fruit of our imagination, but a doctrine of the way things are. Our God is triune. So I'm going to try to kind of pull this down and, and help us to be, able to, to be able to articulate what we believe the doctrine of the Trinity means. So one illustration has helped me, and it's an image that we have of the triangle of the Trinity. And so if you look at this, God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. But the Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. So they all are part of God, but yet they're unique persons within each one of us, each one of them. So the Trinity is one of the most mystifying doctrines in the Bible. So I want us to look at some basics that we see in Scripture that hopefully can unravel this in the next hour and a half. So the Bible teaches us, 30 minutes for each, come on. The Bible teaches that the God is triune, one God, but three persons. And we see this in the creation account. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Genesis chapter 1, because I want us to look at this. So we've got God is going to create the heavens and the earth. So verse 1 says, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. So, so right off the bat, we have one God. But then the very next verse, in verse 2, it says, His Spirit went about accomplishing these things. Whose Spirit? What Spirit? What's this Spirit all about? We're not told at this point. But we have God, and we have the Spirit of God. And so is a part of this creation. And then if we pull in John's gospel that was written after Mark and then Matthew and then Luke, you have John at the end. John kind of paints a picture of a new creation. And, and we are created beings that are going to become new creations like the new earth. And so John describes it in this way. And John 1 and verse 1 and 2 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In verse 14, John says, Jesus is this Word. Okay, so we got God the Father, God the Spirit, and Jesus, the Word, all a part of this creation account, all participating as God created the heavens and the earth. So that's kind of a basis. We see later in Genesis 1 and verse 26, then God said, let us, all three of us, make mankind in our image and in our likeness. So there's three persons, one God, creating mankind to reflect what's happening within this triune relationship we'll talk about in just a minute. On down in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22. And the Lord's God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing both good and evil. So once again, it's this plurality that we see. Now, back in the Old Testament and into the time of Jesus, and even today, Orthodox Jews twice a day have kind of a, a, a creed or have a, a, a central belief in a declaration of faith called the Shema that they say at least twice a day. And the Shema comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. And you're very familiar with this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, and that word is written in the singular form in the original Hebrew text. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, singular, our God, written in plural form, the Lord is one. So even back then, they understood through Moses' hand that there is a plurality there in a singular God. And there's an understanding that God is manifesting himself in such a way. So the concept of this triune God carries forward into the New Testament as well. You see, there are three persons that each refer to God. So it's God the Father, God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit. So the three persons, not three gods, but three persons are part of this one Godhead. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, Paul tells the church at Colossae. He said, those of you who are kind of worried about who Jesus is, this is what you need to know about Jesus. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. Boy, does that not kind of, wait, what did he just say? 100% of God is in Jesus who's embodied a human body. 100% of God came down. So he's 100% man, 100% God. I, I don't know how it works, 
but Paul says you need to understand this is God's plan and this is God's one and only son. So the New Testament recognizes the Son and the Holy Spirit are also part of this Godhead. Maybe you remember the story in Mark chapter 2. You've got the story of the paralytic. And he desperately he wants to come into the presence of Jesus. He's heard about the miracles. And they can't, uh, he can't get there because he can't walk. So he gets four buddies. And they put him on a, you know, a little stretcher. And they carry him up to the house where Jesus is preaching. Well, it's standing room only. In fact, it's spilled out outside. People are listening. And they're like, we're not going to be able to get you to Jesus. He's like, well, you have to. And so you remember, they go around back and they get a ladder or something. They hoist this poor guy up and they start digging a hole in the plaster up there. And they create a hole large enough to put him in. I don't think it was this way. I think they put him in like head first and Jesus had to catch him and kind of pull him down on the ground. And it's like, well, what's going on here? Well, Jesus, I, I need to be healed. So here's what ends up happening. He says, son, I see what's going on. And your sins are forgiven. Well, the teacher's law that came to see, who is this renegade teacher? Who's this person that is coming on the scene, this new rabbi? And so they're thinking something that only God can do what you just did. And one of the scariest moments in, in all of Scripture to me, Jesus is like, I know what you're thinking, and you're off base here. And they're like, he understands what I'm thinking? You bet I do. Here's what he says. Which is easier, to say that this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He's like, I want you to understand what God has told me to do and the power he's bestowed on me to carry out his mission. And so I'm going to demonstrate I have the power to get rid of sin and to push those aside in the way that I'm going to cause this man that has been paralyzed for all of his life to stand up and walk. And he does. And everyone's excited except the Pharisees and, and the lady whose house it was. They had to get her husband to go fix that, right? So this is what's happening. Jesus is like, you need to understand I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a good guy. I carry the authority not just to deal with physical ailments, but the spiritual ailments that are really attacking this man. How do you explain the Trinity? Constantine, the first Roman emperor, said, guys, we need to kind of help folks out in the kingdom. They're trying to figure this whole thing out. And so what he did is he, he assembled all the greatest religious minds of the day in the known world, got them together in a little town of Nicene. And he says, I want you guys to kind of boil this stuff down. And so they came out with a statement of faith called the Nicene Creed, in which a portion of it was dealing with this idea of the Trinity. And so to kind of summarize, here's what they came up with. God is one in substance. And the one substance is shared by all three persons of the Trinity. All crystal clear? You ready to go lunch? 
All right. Maybe we got a little bit more unpacking to do. Three persons, one nature. A guy named Todd Wagner did something at a conference that I thought really helped me. So maybe it will help you as well. And so he grabbed some chairs. And so this is kind of a takeoff on something that Todd Wagner did. So what we need to understand about the Father and the Son and the Spirit is this, that they're all of the same substance. So when we think about the justness of God, God the Father is just. God the Son is just. And God the Spirit is just as just as the Son and the Father. Well, what about mercy? Is one kind of tip of scales over the other? Because, you know, we kind of read some of the Old Testament smackdown and snakes and, you know, things opening up. We're like, I don't know if God has a whole lot of mercy. But Jesus, well, we love Jesus. You know, there's a lot of mercy there. No, if you, in fact, if you look in the First Testament, all throughout, we have God showing grace and mercy to his fathers. What about holiness? Maybe the Holy Spirit has kind of cornered the marker on holiness since he's the only one that's described as the Holy One, right? No, Jesus couldn't be our perfect sacrifice if he wasn't holy and blameless. How did Isaiah describe the Father when he was brought into his presence? He walks in and he goes, there's angels flying around, seraph, and, and they're, they're singing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is. And, and he's like, I shouldn't be here. And if I'm going to stay here, I'm a man of unclean lips. Give me a coal. Got burning out. I need to get rid of all the impurities because I'm seeing how holy the Godhead is. What about love? There are a lot of folks who are like, I, I don't know about the rest of the Bible. I, I'm just a red-letter Christian because I just like the Jesus. Because Jesus is not judgmental like other inspired scriptures or other stories. I just like the Jesus and the Jesus words. What does Jesus say about that? Jesus is saying in John chapter 14 and verse 9, he's like, when you look at me, you're looking at the Heavenly Father. I Hang around me, and you'll get to know more about your Heavenly Father that you've not seen. In fact, that's part of the reason I'm coming, is so you'll understand more about the Father and His love. We see in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that the Son is the radiance of our Heavenly Father. The sun is the radiance. So he's reflecting all the goodness and mercy and forgiveness and grace, all the things that we love in Jesus. He says, I, I'm just tapped into this, and through the power of the Spirit, I'm radiating out what I have from the Father. And, and by the way, we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. That becomes our job as well through the power of the Spirit, to radiate what's coming from God the Father. So, in this is perfect unity. In this is perfect community. 
That's what we have with the triune God. How do they get along? Is there any fighting for agendas? Any jealousy? Any boasting? Anything like that? No. <laughs> we are invited into this. And in fact, they all defer to one another. And, and we have Jesus saying, I loved you so much that I'm going to do what the will of the Father is. Okay, so they said this community is not just going to be for us. Let's go and let's bring in mankind. So mankind will be image bearers. This is who we are, and they're going to reflect this image. And so we get to get invited into the throne room of God. And Adam and Eve got to commune with the Godhead. They walked through the garden. They enjoyed the bounty of this community and got to experience life as God intended. And we will someday experience as well. Satan comes in and says, why are you deferring to them? Why don't you become your own God? Call your own shots and form your own community. So through sin, this triune God, the circle got pulled back. But God loved us so much that God says, we've got to show our creations what love looks like. God the Father says, Jesus, this is your moment. We knew this moment would come before we created all of creation. And Jesus says, I'm ready. And so Philippians chapter 2 says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but yet humbled himself and took the nature of man, dying on the cross, giving himself up, sacrificing. And at that moment, he was separated from the other two parts of the Trinity. And it's at that moment that he cries out, my, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus takes on the very sin that separates us. And he becomes this perfect sacrifice in order to do what? To welcome us back to the community. Jesus says, I want my blood to cover over you. Jesus says, because of of my blood, you get welcomed back into this triune relationship. You get welcomed back into the community. And so we understand that God, when we walk back in, he doesn't see us. Amen? He sees his son Jesus, the perfect sacrifice that went to the cross on our behalf. And so we are restored unto this community that was lost in the garden. It doesn't stop there. Jesus tells us that when we come into right relationship with our Heavenly Father through the blood of Christ, we also receive the Holy Spirit that is inside of us. So we have God's Spirit that is guiding us and equipping us. Jesus' blood welcomes us back in, but His Spirit is what guides us through all of eternity.
Okay? How do they get along with each other? We need to realize when we sit down that we have a heavenly father that says, Son, I'm going to give you the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That's how incredible you are. And we're sitting back, oh, that's pretty cool. And then we remember the story of Jesus' baptism and also the transfiguration where God the Father tells us, okay, the Spirit's coming down in the dove. You're seeing this all come before. He's being transfigured before you. You need to listen to the Son. He is the Son of God. He is on mission from me. He interacts, and he's doing the things I've asked him to do. What does Jesus say about the Father? Well, I don't do anything apart from the will of my Heavenly Father. Lord, I, I don't want to go any further. I, can you let this cup pass for me? But not my will, but thine be done. In the Spirit, Jesus says to disciples, Hey, you need to realize, I'm getting ready to go back to the Father. But it's, it's a lot more, it's to your benefit that I leave you. Jesus, you're going to leave and that's beneficial? Yes. Hold on. You don't know the power of God the Spirit. And God's Spirit inside of you is so much more powerful than me being right next to you. The Spirit, if you give the Spirit a microphone, would say, in your discipleship and your indwelling, what I'm trying to do here is point to the, the will of the Father manifest in Jesus the Son. Follow His path. Listen to His words. Conform yourself to His image because He is the radiance of our Heavenly Father. What does the Father say about the Spirit? He says, this is my spirit I have given to you as a gift. Don't grieve the spirit by neglecting to do what it prompts you to do. So this is the community that we're welcomed into. And so this perfect community is what we've been invited to. But our Heavenly Father says, it's not just for you. Because we want to come to the mountaintop. We want to go to the beach and just... Hey, just me and God. And now, said, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But also, love your neighbor as yourself. What you've experienced here in perfect love, perfect unity, and in perfect community, go share that with someone else. So we're welcomed back into this perfect community through the blood of Jesus and the power of the Spirit but we have to extend that love to others we come in contact with. All right, I'll go do that. I think I found one I like, and I like her a lot. Guys, I think I found one. Um, uh, I want to give my life to you as Jesus gave his life for me, and uh, I want to love you as Christ loved the church. And so we're going to live in perfect love and harmony as I live with these guys. Are you okay with that? Fantastic. 
So we join the circle together, and our life is built upon that love and that community until she messes it up. What were you thinking? Why did you say that? They might hear that things aren't going great with us. In fact, you know, things were going pretty good till you got here. Let's move you out of this. Boy, trying my patience. What in the world? Good grief. I'm grieving you more than she's grieving me. Get the log out of my, what log? There's a log in my, yeah, you can't. Okay. The love and the community that I've received, I need to extend to others. And the mercy and the love that was shown to me. I promise to love you as Christ loved the church. And I have to tell you, the Spirit of God has come upon me and has encouraged me to come and reconcile with you because I have not been patient. I have not been kind. I've not been forgiving. I've been boastful. I've been arrogant. All the things that I profess I would not do, the Spirit has brought to my attention that I'm the problem in this. Will you please come back and join our fellowship? So it's not just husbands and wives. We're encouraged to go out and love our neighbors, to invite others to be a part of this unity, to be a part of this community, and all come together. And, and it's not just that we come to worship our God, but we come because each of us has been gifted by the Holy Spirit. That there is a relational component to here. It's not just about coming together because we all pay for the preacher and the song leader. No, that's not what this is about. It is about God has gifted us to create something different. That we are more than the sum of our parts. As we come together, we form a body of believers of which Christ is the head. And it's not just that we're all equal in the sight of God, which we are. We've all been gifted in unique ways. We all have different talents. We have different treasures. We have different ways that we can serve the Lord, but also work together as one unit. Sometimes we don't have the same unity and community that has been demonstrated to us and our theory is if we can just get rid of one, then this community will get set back. I think there are other churches you can go to. Or it's the exact opposite. You know, I, I hopped in this community of believers. I thought I was a part of that body, but I'm going to go through the painful process, and, and I'm going to sever myself from the body and go get grafted into another. Do you realize how important it is what happens in this fellowship? And it's not just that the Spirit is trying to work on us to become more and more like, our, like Jesus. So we bring glory and become image bearers as Jesus. We need to realize how we interact as the body of Christ points others to our Heavenly Father. It points others to say, I want what you have. 
I, I want to have relationships that the world says are crazy. I, I want to be a part of something to where I know it's God's spirit that is opening doors for things in the kingdom that we couldn't imagine six months ago, that we couldn't see on the horizon, but God could. I want to be a part of something that lasts way beyond me. And so my lineage, not just what I did, but the body that I was a part of. So that becomes, when things get exciting, we understand the Trinitarian relationship among God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son and how we're welcomed into that and the blessings that come through that. You know, when we start looking at the various parts of life and the things that we value the most, and we come to the Father for community, for, for care, and, and learning to submit to one another in intimacy and humility and, and love. And, and we want to grow in these ideas. And, and they're not just the best ideas of man. They are eternally present in the very nature of God. That's who we are as God followers. Apostle Paul tells the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That's us together. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He said, you realize how you're supposed to be acting, church in Ephesus. This is how we commune. This is how we defer to others. This is how husbands submit to wives and wives submit to husbands, even when we're not feeling it. This is how we Go the extra mile to maintain the bonds of peace within a community, within a faith community. We learn to live as if we are guided by the Holy Spirit. We learn to submit ourselves to the will of our Heavenly Father. And we learn to be in tune with what God is trying to do. And we bask in the glory that we are loved so much that God gave His one and only Son so that we can live a life in glory to the Father. A.W. Tozier said this, The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. What do you think about? A lion? An ocean and perhaps the stars? An old man? Jesus? If it doesn't include the Trinity, we do not have an accurate view of God. So our belief in the Trinity it is not just a theological understanding that we try to nail to the wall like jello. It, it is an understanding that undergirds how we relate with our Heavenly Father and how we relate with our brother and sister inside the church and out into the community. It's that conviction that this is how we're going to live in perfect harmony that drives us to release our will and to struggle and to wrestle with 
how can we as a church be harmonious with both God and with both man? Where are you this morning? Are, are you still living over here without the blood of Christ over you? Well, we invite you to come because in baptism, we believe that's when we receive that gift and the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide us. But if you're also struggling and in need of prayer, we we invite you to come as, as well on that to say, okay, me and God are great. I love me some Jesus and I'm, man, I'm thumbs up on the Holy Spirit. I'll raise my hand, but I don't like the guy next to me. Can we pray for all of us as a church to say we're going to be guided by the love, by the forgiveness, and by the unity we see in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. It's a triune God what you desire. It's a triune God what you're experiencing. If we can help you this morning, come now as we stand and as we sing.